It's the Field of Vision podcast with your host, Jordan Eisen. How's it going, everybody? And welcome into the Field of Vision podcast. Today, we have Derek Carty of ESPN. He has created the Blitz podcast, uh, the Blitz projections for football and the bat projections for baseball. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Blitz, but also just Derek's opinions of certain players and guys he likes to pick in 2020. So, Derek, tell me a little bit about what it's like working at ESPN and that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's great. I do a lot more stuff now with Roto Grinders than with ESPN. But, uh, you know, back when Baseball Tonight was still on TV, I was doing a lot of stuff with that. I still do stuff for the website. Um, it's really cool. I mean, you grow up kind of watching ESPN, obviously, as a kid. And then to, you know, be affiliated with it is is really cool. Um, but I do a lot of DFS stuff now with Roto Grinders, with the bat, with the blitz. So that's uh, that's where most of my time goes these days, projecting players and that sort of thing. All right. So how do you go about baseball is a little bit easier because there's a bigger, bigger sample size and numbers are kind of just more accurate. So how do you go about making projections in football? Is it like a combination of just watching film and then getting your opinion from that? Or is it like using numbers in some sort of way or a combination of both? It's a combination, but it is much more numbers. And I think some people realize like the, the narrative that you sort of hear people say, it's kind of what you just said that like sample sizes are bigger in baseball than they are in football. You know, there's 162 games in baseball and there's 16 games in football, but that's not necessarily true. You know, like in a given season, a batter will take, you know, 600 at bats or something like that, but a quarterback will throw the ball, you know, 600 times or you know, the samples are, are not as small as people think because it's not about the games. It's about the individual events and the individual events. There's more of them than I think maybe people realize. And more than that, it's about the stability of the events. You know, just because you have a small sample size of something doesn't mean that that sample size isn't meaningful to use a baseball example. You know, if a pitcher, a pitcher's velocity even if you only have three pitches that he's thrown, you can still trust the velocity that says he's throwing 98 miles an hour. He didn't do that by fluke just because the sample size is small. It's a very, very stable statistic and all you need is three pitches. And so when you look at how quickly football stats stabilize, it's a little bit slower than baseball stats, but it's not significantly slower. You know, there's still a lot of, of signal in football stats, you know, even relative to baseball. There are some that there are not. Most running back stats are extremely noisy, but quarterback stats, wide receiver stats, they are a lot more stable than I think people think. So what are some stats like beyond yards and attempts and stuff like that that you look for in football? I mean, even just basic stuff. Completion percentage is very, very stable. You know, yards per completion, air yards, all stuff like that is very stable stuff that, you know, matters a lot when it comes to projecting players. And then obviously you want to adjust for context. You know, you want to adjust for the weather, for the home field advantage, for the down, the distance, the game situation, the, you know, the part of the field that the team is on, you know, all that stuff 
impacts, you know, all of these things. And so adjusting for context, I think is one of the, one of the big things that I think sets my systems apart. And that is important when projecting players. Okay. So last episode I had Chris Harris, I'm sure you know who he is. I had him on and he's probably the biggest advocate of uh, film watching for football. So this week, now you're a numbers guy, it sounds like. Um, I think it'll be interesting to get another point of view and kind of see who overlaps between you and Chris because we talked about some players he likes. And if there's someone he likes and there's someone you like, then I kind of think that might be a lock for a good player for 2020 because that means their stats back it up, but also their film backs it up. And uh, I think film might be more important. Maybe you can convince me otherwise, but uh, having a combination of both film and numbers is definitely a big thing. So if you mention someone that also looks good on film, like I'll dive into that player for sure. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm a big proponent of, of both. I don't think one approach is, you know, ever the right thing. I think ideally you are combining them. I mean, I don't have a background in film watching for football. I'd love to learn it at some point, uh, but for baseball, you know, I've been to scout school. Like I, I understand the importance of that side of it. Yeah. All right. So let's just kick it off. Uh, who is your number five favorite target for 2020? So I'm going to throw out Jamison Crowder, who is kind of a boring guy. Um, but that's kind of why I think he's underdrafted this year and why he is a good play. You know, he, you know what you're going to get with Jameson Crowder. There's not upside, you know, he's not going to explode. You know, he's kind of a, you know, he's not a deep threat. So he's not even like the sexy kind of receiver, you know, he's a slot guy or on shorter routes, but he's still a good receiver and the target share is there. Like you look at the Jets receivers, you look at what Crowder has done, you can pretty much lock him in for a 20 to 25% target share this year. Darnold is only getting better. And uh, he's just underdrafted because he's boring. And boring, guys, is a lot of times where you find value in fantasy. I can definitely agree that he's boring. Um, but in that range, where do you have him ranked about? Do you know? off the top of your head. I don't have my full rankings pulled up. Okay. Cause I'd rather have someone like, uh, Robbie Anderson. I don't know how you have those two guys ranked. Maybe you do have Robbie Anderson ahead. I think Robbie Anderson's a pretty good value too. And obviously he's the sexier guy. He's the deep threat. He's the, you know, um, you know, the guy with the upside, he's in a new situation now. So you can kind of dream on what he can do. I think he has a lot more competition for targets though. You know, you have DJ Moore, who's going to eat a ton of targets. You have McCaffrey, who's going to eat a ton of targets. You have Curtis Samuel, who's not going to fall out of the game plan. Ian Thomas is a guy who's going to get targets. And so I think just from that perspective, Crowder is definitely more locked into, I think, what he's going to do, where the range of outcomes for Anderson is a little wider. And that's maybe a matter of uh, personal preference. You know, maybe someone wants to take that that shot that Anderson winds up being the lead guy there or that he catches a bunch of long touchdowns. Um, but I think he is definitely less secure in, in what we can, you know, for sure expect from him. Okay. Um, hopefully by the time you're drafting Crowder, he won't be a starter for your team. So in a normal year, maybe you would want to go someone with more upside, like a 
maybe a rookie, maybe a Robbie, Robbie Anderson type. But this year, I think you might have a point with Jamison Crowder just because I think guys are kind of be dro- kind of going to be dropping like flies and you might just need to fill in a wide receiver spot if like that's exactly it. You know, if you're in a deeper league, obviously guys like this have a lot more value, but even in a little bit shallower of a league where you're drafting Crowder for your bench, I think that's a great point where you are going to need to plug and play guys this year. And so having someone stable on the bench that you can count on for good production, I think is, is potentially going to be even more valuable this year. My number five guy is kind of the complete opposite of Jamison Crowder. It's uh, Brandon Cooks. So, of course, there's that stat that, like, he on three different teams, he's had a 1,000-yard seasons three years in a row, which is really impressive and just kind of tells you how good he is. But also, if we're going to talk some narratives, he's going to yet another team, and he has shown that he can translate from team to team. And Deshaun Watson's a good quarterback, but... Also, as long as the, I'll give you that Brandon Cooks definitely needs to stay healthy for this pick to be, um, to work out. But as long as he can stay healthy, which I don't think you can really lock for anyone. So it shouldn't hurt Brandon Cooks maybe as much as it would in a normal year. But if he stays healthy, he, like we were picking him number 30, like, a couple years ago. And the only thing that's happened since then is he's been greater injured. And so if we disregard injury, he could be like the 30th overall pick, but he's going in like the seventies or eighties. And now he might have the best uh, deep ball quarterback he's had. Maybe drew Brees when he was in new Orleans, but he was even getting gold back then. So he's had drew Brees, Tom Brady, Jared Goff, They're all great, but I think Watson might be above them in terms of at least deep balls. Um, Deshaun is uh, capable and has locked on to a receiver before, and who knows, it could be Brandon Cooks. His, uh, His draft capital is just being discounted too much, so I think it could be a big bargain. What do you think about him? I can definitely see it. Um, again, I think he's a guy with a wide range of outcomes. You know, last year with the Rams, he basically, you know, kind of fell off the map. You know, the year before, it was kind of him, Cup, Woods, all getting, you know, the same target share. And and the Rams basically just said, we don't care about Brandon Cooks anymore last year. He's not, he's not good enough anymore for us. Do you think that and, was because he wasn't good or because he was injured? Because I think, I think a lot of it had to do with the injury. So again, like you said, you're kind of counting on him coming back, being healthy. But I do think there is a lot of upside here for Cooks. And and so I like it. You know, like you said, he is playing with the best deep ball quarterback he's probably ever had. I think there are obviously a lot of targets to go around in that offense. With Hopkins gone, a lot of those targets are vacated. Will Fuller is obviously going to be in the mix kind of for that like alpha role you know, Randall Cobb is going to eat up some of the targets, but there's going to be room for Cooks to shine here, I think. And one of the things I like the most about him in this spot is this is the first time basically that he's playing in a dome. And that's something we'll get into a little bit more with some of my guys, but domes I think are the most underrated thing in 
in, in fantasy football, basically. Mm-hmm. They, they provide such a boost to passing stats, to quarterbacks, to receivers, and people overlook that. And so a guy like Cooks, I think, uh, you know, getting to play half of his games or more than half of his games in a dome this year, I think that's something that a lot of people maybe aren't necessarily baking into their expectations, but which is definitely going to help him. That's interesting. Um, I just think that uh, if a player is good, he's going to be good, whether he's in a dome or not. It could be a tiebreaker between him and someone else that isn't in a dome maybe, but I don't really account for that that much because if Brandon Cooks is going to be healthy, playing in a dome isn't going to matter that much when you're picking him at pick 80 or whatever. I mean, statistically it does, (laughs) it kind of does, you know, it's like, uh, you know, would you rather have your wide receiver be lined up across from, you know, whoever Jalen Ramsey, Patrick Peterson, pick, pick whatever cornerback you like every single game, or would you rather him be lined up across from, you know, pick a, pick a bad cornerback. Um, you know, like it's going to make a difference, you know, regardless of the, the player's talent, obviously you want the talent to be there, but the guy's going to do better in more favorable situations. You know, if he is, you know, really good to start with and he's in great, you know, great conditions, now he's going to be really, really good. And if he's really good to start with and he's in terrible conditions, well, now he's going to be a little bit less good. You know, that's kind of the way um, I tend to approach things in the way statistically things kind of tend to work out. So I, I really like the domes, you know, the, the stats show that it matters a, a lot. All right. Well, you're just making my argument for me. I don't know how much I agree with that, but it, it sounds like you're at least kind of on board with Cooks. Uh, my main thing about him is just if he's going to be good, he's going to be good. And injury is definitely the biggest knock on him. And that's kind of a theme throughout my list. And Cooks is the first one there. So who do you have at number four? Uh, I have Marvin Jones. I have another dome guy. Uh, Marvin Jones, I think is, I think he's a more talented receiver than people, uh, people kind of realize. And it's kind of like him and TJ Hawkinson here as like my, you know, four, a four B. I like the tie or the, the lions rather uh, quite a bit in general this year. Like I think Matthew Stafford is an underrated quarterback. I think the lions are an underrated offense. I think they throw a bit more and they're a little bit faster paced especially under new coaching last year than people realize. And I just think that this offense in general has a lot more talent than people maybe give it credit for. And, you know, Kenny Galladay is obviously the the lead guy here in, uh, in Detroit. And I love Kenny Galladay. I think he's great, but you look at kind of how the targets were distributed, um, you know, last year between him and Jones and Jones was, you know, kind of right up there with him. So I, I really like Jones I really like Hawkinson. I think there's a chance for him to take a big step forward this year. And so I like these guys quite a bit. Okay. Um, I, uh, Marvin Jones, I do like a lot because you, he's so late. He's later than ever this year. But what did he do last year to like make you not want to draft him? He was Marvin Jones once again. Um, he's just going to get you points if you put him in your lineup. He's... He's definitely different than Jamison Crowder because he is not nearly as stable. But it, it at the beginning of each week, if you need a wide receiver spot to fill, just throw Marvin Jones in and hope for the best. I think the Lions offense, you do have a point there. But also Marvin Jones is just a good player, and 
He's going really, really late this year. Fantasy Pros has him at pick 99. And usually he goes in like the 70s or 80s, like Cooks is this year. So I don't really understand why he's going later because he's good and nothing's really changed. That That's kind of my, my perspective on him. Like, I think it's just, you know, he's almost, even though he's not a boring receiver, he's almost kind of, people are treating him that way because, you know, he's been in the league for a few years. You kind of know what you're getting with him more or less. And, uh, you know, people would rather take a shot on something newer and shinier. Uh, my number four is Mr. Tide Gurley. And this is really just a value pick. He scares me probably as much as he scares you, but he is just good, right? Like if he gets the carries, then I think he'll be able to translate them and be like what we've known Todd Gurley to be on less carries, but He'll still like have a similar efficiency, I would think, based on what I saw in 2019. And if you look at the Atlanta running backs, it's like Cadre Olison, Brian Hill, Ido Smith. Like the Falcons, they only have him for a year, so why not use him and not use Brian Hill? Because you don't care about Todd Gurley's long-term health, so why should we? As the Falcons, why should they just not give him every carry? I mean, I kind of agree with you. Gurley's actually number three on my list. I like Gurley quite a bit this year. You know, it seems like you can generally get him like late second, maybe early third, depending on, you know, the type of league and the depth and everything else. Um, And I think he's a really strong pick there. Like you said, the running back depth chart for Atlanta is really nothing special. Um, you know, historically they have kind of tended to split carries a little bit more between their, you know, their 1A and their 1B back. But Gurley's different than, you know, Devontae Freeman. He's different than Tevin Coleman. Um, so I, I like Gurley. Um, and it's weird because a couple of years ago I was the guy that was like, everyone, relax. Todd Gurley is not this good. Regression is coming. Like running backs don't normally do this. And, and regression hit him hard. And a lot of that probably did have to do with injuries. But a lot of people now who are, you know, on the the people who were saying that then are now on the complete opposite side now and saying, well, Todd Gurley is just bad now. Uh, it's like, no, like running backs in general, there's no such thing as like a bad running back usually, especially if an NFL team thinks they're capable of starting. They're not a bad running back because running backs are all more or less the same. And so if you have a running back who, you know, does have the history of doing what Gurley does is potentially in a position to soak up most of the carries we know can be involved in the passing game, then I think Gurley is is potentially, you know, a very strong pick here, um, going a little bit later than he probably should because of this perception that he's bad. I don't necessarily agree that all running backs are the same, but I think that's a good thing for Gurley. I still think he's really good. So I think that like he's still a good ta- talent and he still kind of has maybe not as much burst before the arthritis thing but he still has more than your average running back so I think that's good for him and I think he's good he might get less less snaps he might get less carries but in Atlanta I don't see why they would want to do that there's nothing like would you rather hand the ball off to Ty Gurley or Brian Hill if you don't if you don't care about next season it 
it's pretty obviously Todd Gurley to me. So unless Atlanta thinks this is a long-term thing, they which I don't think they should want it to be, then they could just run Todd Gurley as much as they want and boost his carries while still getting an efficient runner. So I like the combination of volume, which probably won't be as high as in years past, but will be higher than last year, maybe, or about the same as last year, but also his efficiency. I think he's an efficient running back. The O-line was really bad last year, so his efficiency numbers don't look good. But he was still like, he was a really good runner. And the O-line screwed him, but, and I'm not saying Atlanta's won't, but he's going later than he should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. You know, I kind of said at the start of the show that I don't care a whole lot about running back numbers and efficiency because that stuff is just like so noisy, statistically speaking. But I think the volume is the main thing you care about for a running back. And I think that possibility is there for Gurley. I think they probably would be smart, especially on a one-year deal, to basically give him as many carries as he can healthily take. And so I think if we see Gurley getting 75 or 85 or 80% of the carries here, then you're, you know, in 10% of the targets or 12% of the targets, you're probably getting a pretty strong value where he's being drafted. All right. So you said Gurley was your number three as well. He was my number four. So now I'll say my number three, who is Josh Jacobs. Um, he is going earlier than I thought he would at the end of last season. Like I thought I would just have Josh Jacobs absolutely everywhere, but it turns out um, the fantasy football community kind of saw that he was good, or at least saw that PFF thought he was good and got on board the Josh Jacobs train. But I do have him in my ranks at least as a first rounder. And I think it's kind of the way to go to grab a running back in the first round. So I'm getting him a lot of places in my mocks and stuff. And the main thing for him is that he's just, if you watch him, you can tell he's really good. And it's kind of betting that he's going to get some catches at least, maybe not as much as we thought he would when he got drafted, but he'll get some hopefully. And if he does, why can't he be Dalvin Cook? He doesn't have the same acceleration, but he has the same kind of narrative in that like he was a second round running back and you were betting in Josh Jacobs' situation for catches. For Dalvin Cook, it was health. And then if they can perform on that thing that they need to prove, then why can't they be a first rounder? And that happened with Dalvin Cook, and I could totally see the same thing happening for Josh Jacobs. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's certainly possible for him. Um, I think the big thing for him, especially when we start talking about PPR leagues, you know, even half PPR leagues, is what is his role in the passing game going to be? Last year, it really wasn't anything special. You know, Jalen Rashard was was really heavily involved there. Now they, you know, they have Lynn Bowden, they have Devontae Booker on the roster. They do have guys who could potentially eat into some of his volume. Um, but he's coming out and saying that he's going to be more involved in the, in the passing game this year. They're saying that, you know, they want Jacobs to kind of be the guy. And if that winds up being the case, 
then I think he could potentially be a value. He's not a guy I'm going out of my way to get. I do think there is a a fairly wide range of outcomes for him, but I do think there is plenty of room on the high side for him to to kind of break out. But also, are we so sure of what like Kenyon Drake, Derrick Henry, Aaron Jones, are we positive of what those guys roles are no we're not and that that i think is part of the the appeal of a guy like jacobs i don't think any of those guys are necessarily you know safe or locked in plays i think once you get to the back half of the first round there's a lot of guys with question marks and so jacobs probably does belong in that conversation for sure yeah exactly and i the big thing for him and like a lot of my guys is really just they look good like you can tell Josh Jacobs is a good running back if you watch him. And I'm not like a skilled film watcher. I'm only 16, but like I can tell Josh Jacobs looks better than David Montgomery or whatever. Um, Before we head on to our top two and probably some other honorable mentions, let's take a quick break for an ad. And we're back. With me once again is uh, Derek Cardi, and we'll be discussing our top two favorite players to draft in 2020. And I think we might have a little bit of overlap here. So who is your number two player? Uh, David Johnson is, is on my list. And I think it's a similar thing to Gurley, where people perceive him to be you know, kind of a shell of his former self. You know, he's not, he's, you know, he's not talented enough anymore. He's not a good enough running back. And, and I think he's slipping in drafts because of that perception. And that's just not something that I generally tend to buy into. I think running back talent is very, very close between basically all running backs in the league. And I think that David Johnson is a perfectly capable NFL running back. And he's going to a team now that, he's basically going to be the guy, you know, it's kind of similar to Gurley where you look at, um, you know, who else is on that depth chart. And there's really not a whole lot else that I'm super concerned about, um, especially in terms of guys that can take the bulk of the groundwork. And so, you know, Johnson's a guy who I think will probably be a little bit involved in the passing game as well, but I think he's going to get a good amount of carries. And I think he's just being drafted, you know, a little bit too late for, for who he is and what his role is going to be specifically. Yeah. So, uh, David Johnson is also my number two. So that was the overlap guy and we have different reasons for liking him, but we both like him nonetheless. So I like him because, um, I think, did you see Carlos Hyde in 2019? He got a thousand yards and a bunch of touchdowns and, Regardless of how good David Johnson actually is this year, whether he's back to form or if he's just kind of bad now, I don't think he's worse than Derek uh, than uh, Carlos Hyde. So, like, if he he's a lock for Carlos Hyde production or about that, let's say that he is. But then he also has a lot of upside to. What if he is David Johnson of years past? And this is something we obviously differ on, whether um, someone is still, whether whether or not someone is good or not, if that matters. I think it does. Um, I, I think it does a lot, but 
I think, what if he is back to that 15 touchdown form where he runs wide receiver routes, but also carries the ball 300-ish times? Like, that would be amazing in this Houston offense. And we saw what he could do in Arizona. Uh, Carlos Hyde was good in Houston. He's a lock for production, but he also has the upside to be a lot better. So do you think that he's as safe as I'm making it out to be? Because last year we saw he's not very safe, but I think this year he might be. I mean, I don't like the word safe in general. I just, I don't think anybody is ever truly safe, especially when it comes to to running backs with injuries. Johnson's getting older, but I think in terms of role, I think his, his role is probably, you know, as safe as you're going to get at where he's going in the draft. And I think that's the main thing for a running back is, is that role. And it's funny. I know, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily agree with me on, you know, running back talent being very, um, you know, condensed um, from running back to running back in the league. But then you use Carlos Hyde as an example. Uh, I mean, it, he goes to show like, you don't have to be a great running back to put up, you know, good fantasy stats if you're getting the volume. And I think that volume on the ground is there for Johnson. And if he is kind of flashing, you know, kind of his old self, maybe he becomes more involved in the passing game. And then that passing game volume is there. And I do think there is, there is, you know, that glimmer of upside for Johnson based on who he used to be. Yeah. He, yeah. A glimmer of hope. That's a fantastic way to put it, I think. And he could definitely just like, be a league winner. I would rather have him over guys like Chris Carson, Leonard Fournette, that kind of group of if we don't know if they're good or not, but seem to be locked for volumes, uh, locks for volume. But I think David Johnson might be good, unlike those guys. I don't think Leonard Fournette is very good. And he's just a value. Fantasy Pros has him going at pick 44. And I just think that's too low. That's really what this list is all about. And like, it's, he's just maybe good, but a lock for production. So um, who's your number one? We clearly agree on David Johnson. So now let's talk about our number one guys. So this is maybe like, uh, I mean, Calling him my number one, I probably shouldn't have put him here because it's like he's not like amazing. The list um, doesn't really matter. So, but but a guy I think is is kind of interesting is Derek Carr, and I think Derek Carr is a quarterback that people underrate his talent level because of the type of quarterback he is. You know, he throws kind of shorter passes. He's not like exciting. He's been in the league for a long time. The Raiders tend to you know run the ball at a, at an above average clip. But Derek Carr is going to be playing in a dome for the first time in his career. And I know we disagree on it, but domes matter a lot, especially for quarterbacks. And Derek Carr has a lot of weapons to work with this year, I think, a lot more than he's ever had in years past. And so I'm not saying go out and draft Derek Carr to be your starting quarterback in a 12-team league, but I'm saying in a deeper league, draft him as your second quarterback, put him on your bench, And I think he will be a lot better than people think he will be. He'll be a guy you can plug in if your starter gets injured. He'll be a guy that I think does have the upside to be a low-end starting quarterback 
you know, depending on league depth. And, uh, you know, you can get him basically free. But also, does that for you kind of indicate that his wide receivers might have some value? Oh, yeah. I think the receivers have value as well. I think you can definitely go out. We don't know necessarily exactly what the roles are going to be because there's so many of them. But later in drafts, if you want to take a shot on a couple of them, Tyrell Williams is coming really late. You can take a shot on Ruggs. Like, you can take a shot on Edwards. Like, there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of upside for those receivers for sure. I really like Brian Edwards. Um, he didn't make the list just because, like, in your draft, he's not going to matter as much as the guys on my list because he's going really late. But he he's definitely someone I really like to get in drafts because uh, the reason he went late in, like, the real NFL draft is because he was hurt. And teams would have probably picked him higher if they – could if they could have gotten him in for a physical but since coronavirus he wasn't able to so in a normal year this year was one of the best wide receiver classes this year was one of the best wide receiver classes but he probably still could have gone in the like or mid to late second ish maybe like uh he was good in college. I don't watch college football very much, but from guys that I've trust, I've heard that he's just a star. And if you like Derek Carr, then I think Brian Edwards could really be a really good player for 2020. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think there is uh, quite a bit of upside and value on on those guys late in drafts. Yeah, so my number one guy... Unlike other guys on my list, he doesn't, he's definitely not a lock for volume like Gurley or Johnson or even Jacobs, but I think he is fantastic. And that is Antonio Gibson of the Washington football team. So in college, he didn't play very much at running back. He was kind of a running back wide receiver hybrid, but now that he's in the NFL, he's getting comps to Christian McCaffrey and all these fantastic running backs that are dual threats. I don't think he is Christian McCaffrey at all because not many people are, but I think he can be Christian McCaffrey light. And now with Darius Geis no longer on the team, I think that he is not a lock for volume because they still have... Um, they still have Adrian Peterson, but at some point in the season, they're g- Washington's going to notice that this guy is better than Adrian Peterson and Peyton Barber and Bryce Love and whoever else they have in that absurd backfield. But he's just really good, and I have hope that Ron Rivera uh, is able to see that he's good and eventually give him the starting role at some point in then once he gets a role, I think he'll be able to run with it and Washington will not be able to take it away from him. Yeah, I think this is a guy that has a lot of upside. You know, we've seen Washington in the past give Chris Thompson a monster target share. And this is completely new coaching this year, but it's the same coaching that coached Christian McCaffrey. So they are equipped to feature a running back in the passing game. And I think Gibson is a guy that can certainly be that. And if he winds up getting a lot of the work on the ground as well, 
then you could really have something with him. I think he is um, obviously a guy that is maybe a little risky, has a wide range of outcomes. We don't necessarily know what the role is exactly going to be. But if this is a guy who winds up getting even 40 or 50% of the work on the ground and winds up with a 20% target share, that's going to have a lot of value. And also, I I don't know if this is just the ADP being out of date, but it says he's going at 183. At 183, you're kind of starting to draft like a DST. I'd rather have Antonio Gibson in a shot at a fantastic like starting running back with a good lock for volume at some point in the season, but also is really efficient and just really good. Like the person I have at pick 183 is Sam Darnold. And one pick above that is T Higgins. And one pick below that is Kenny Stills. So I'm not saying pick, uh, pick Antonio Gibson and think he's going to be your starter from start to finish. I think pick him kind of act like he might be suspended for four games or something. And if you see hope in those first four games, then maybe by week five, he's starting and will get you into the playoffs and win you the playoffs. Um, I think it might be kind of outrageous, but I have him at pick 85, which is like a hundred picks above ADP. So I'm not picking him at 85, but I'll pick him at like 130 in a mock, but I really think that he's just really good. Where would yeah, you... I, I can certainly see the upside for him. I do think there's plenty of competition on this roster, but I can see the upside. Yeah, so he's he's really good. Um, there's a lot of hype on him in camp, so I do think that ADP will go up a little bit. But still, I I think I'll have him basically on every single one of my teams. So do you have any honorable mentions that you want to bring up? Uh, yeah. So I think honorable mention I'd give to a few guys. I think Deontay Johnson is really interesting, especially with uh, Big Ben back this year, two years ago with Big Ben and without Le'Veon, they were one of the most pass heavy offenses in the league. If they wind up going back to that this year, um, I think Deontay could be really, really interesting, um, especially because you know, he really did break out last year, really was featured in this offense a lot. So I think he's interesting. I think Teddy Bridgewater as a, another backup quarterback is really interesting. I just think he's better than people think he is. And he's got a lot of weapons to work with this year. So I think Teddy is very interesting. Um, and I think Emmanuel Sanders is interesting, especially in like a best ball format. Um, I love the Saints offense in general. I've been on Michael Thomas for years before people acknowledge that he was the best wide receiver in football. A lot of it is because of this offense, because of the dome, because of the O-line, because of Peyton, because of Breeze. Um, Emmanuel Sanders isn't going to get the targets that Michael Thomas is, obviously. But there are going to be, I think, some big games mixed in for for him this year. And so uh, I think he's a really interesting late round play, especially in a league where you don't necessarily have to make the choice every week. Do I start him? Do I not start him? You just take the good weeks in best ball when they come. Okay. So Deontay Johnson, I really think is good. And he might be one of the best examples of numbers overlapping film because the numbers, they really indicate that he might just be a stud and then film kind of 
uh, confirms that because he's just really fast. He's not Tyreek Hill, but he might be one of the closest things to Tyreek Hill that we have. And you're totally right. One of my honorable mentions is Juju, and that's because what if they go back to that record-setting passing volume? Like, someone has to catch it. They've got James Washington, who I think some people are being let are leaving for dead, but I don't really, I don't really think he should be, but he is. And, uh, but even if he gets like 35 to 50 catches, there's still a lot of volume for, uh, Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think are really, really good wide receivers. And they'll be able to definitely, uh, they'll definitely be able to like get a lot of yards and touchdowns like the Steelers have in years past. And even if they aren't at that record setting value volume, I think they'll be at a higher volume than with duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Like that isn't really, I think big Ben, no matter how good he is, is going to be better than those guys. So I think, this, there's a lot of vol- value in the Steelers' offense because their offense is not going to be as bad as last year. I agree. Then you also said Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I don't think unless you're in a super flex, Teddy Bridgewater is really going to be drafted or cared about too much. But I have Teddy pretty high compared to ADP. ADP, oh, wow, okay. ADP has him at 154. I have him at about that place. I just thought his ADP was lower. Yeah, but in a super lower than that. In a super flex, um, he is a very viable second quarterback. I think he's safe, but then he also has upside. A big thing, a big narrative about Teddy Bridgewater is that he doesn't throw deep, but also when he does throw deep, I think he's good. And that definitely translates uh, in Carolina because Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, they might be able to get some deep targets and just help Teddy blow up in some games, unlike what we're used to when talking about Teddy Bridgewater. But also DJ Moore is a DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey are very solid, shallow threats that can also go deep or take a short drag route 80 yards to the house or uh, he's safe but he also has some real um some real upside to win a week and i think by the end of the year as long as your league is deep and active enough if he's not injured or sick then he'll be a starter for some team in your league Absolutely. I think that upside is, is definitely there, especially if, you know, the defense winds up being as bad as some people think it's going to be. They're going to be playing from behind a lot. They're going to be throwing. And then, like you said, like he's, he's a better quarterback, even a better deep ball quarterback than people realize. And he has the weapons at every level of the field, you know, to really, to really excel and to really kind of, uh, you know, kind of wherever the holes in the defense are on a given week, he's got the weapon to take advantage of it. Some of my honorable mentions are uh, Kenny Galladay, Matthew Stafford, those Lions that we already talked about a little bit, uh, Juju, who I already discussed, 
Marquise Brown and Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith, I'm not a huge fan of, but I just think you need a tight end at some point. And if you didn't draft one earlier and Johnny's still available towards end, he has that F- Mike Gesicki profile, but he also will probably have the same quarterback the whole year and a more stable offense than what we project than what we project the Dolphins to be. And then Marquise Brown, if he's healthy and Lamar Jackson is still Lamar Jackson, I think he could be kind of like what Tyreek Hill was with Alex Smith. I think Alex Smith and Lamar are kind of similar-ish passers, at least in terms of what they can do with a speed wide receiver. And I think Marquise Brown is really good and he should be going earlier. Yeah, I see the upside on Brown for sure. I mean, obviously he's a very talented wide receiver. I think the biggest question mark with him is is the volume. Obviously this is a team that that runs the ball first. And when they do pass, they tend to spread it around, you know, at an above average clip. You know, Marquise Brown was only getting you know, 20% of the targets last year, more or less. And so if he winds up jumping up into the elite tier where he's getting 25 or or high 20s, then I think you really have something. But if he's a 20% target share guy on a team that is running the ball a lot and is playing ahead a lot, um, you know, I I think overall he could wind up disappointing, even though there's definitely going to be some big weeks mixed in there when he catches some deep balls and, you know, has a multi-touchdown game or something like that. But if he can kind of jump up a little bit in terms of, you know, his usage, then then you can really have something with him, I think. Yeah. So kind of like what I said with Josh, Josh Jacobs earlier, uh, for both Kenny Galladay and Marquise Brown, at the end of 2019 season, I thought I would have them everywhere, but the market was higher than I expected it to be. Um, so I just thought I liked them more than the public did, but it turns out I'm a little above average, but close to on par with the market. But they are certainly good players. And if their price tag seems a little high, don't be afraid to pick them because they're definitely good players. Um, Is there anything else you have to add to any of your favorite players to draft? No, I think that pretty much covers it for me. Thanks uh, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, it. so do you want to tell the people where to find you on Twitter and anywhere else? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek Cardi. Um, you can find my NFL projection system, The Blitz, over at Roto-Grinders. Um, it is a DFS-based system, but you can obviously use it for your season-long leagues. And it has, I mean, it's been really good the last few years. So definitely give it a shot. If you're into that kind of thing and, uh, and yeah, any questions you have, just hit me up on Twitter. Yep. And my, you can find me on Twitter at F O V underscore sports. You can also find me on Instagram at that same handle. I'll talk to you next time. And until then, Eisen out. Eisen out.